As far as the world is aware, the guild is led by the Magister. They are, in turn, led by the Minerva Council. Counselors ensure that the Magister remains informed about any matters relevant to the guild's interests. Unbeknownst to the rest of the world, including most members of the guild, the Minerva Council is the true power behind the organization. Welcome to Soul Story. My name is Falcon, and I'll be playing Wheezy White. I'm Mariam, playing Aurora Aurora. I'm Mike Lane, and I'll be playing Neil Yolini. And I'm your lady of podcasting, Alex. But today, you can call me Fate Master. here and we're starting episode one episode one proper so i think it's time that i set a scene you ready for this oh Let's yeah do it oh yeah it is night unsurprising as all cloak and dagger activities favored the star freckled shadows for some your day had been filled with scandal others research some even found time to maintain your your wealth despite the early july heat smothering your motivation the sun is set and it's now time for another business entirely. Your invites were received. You have dressed for the occasion. Now is the time to put your best foot forward. The Minerva Council has called, and you must answer. Moments ago, your rides drew near the ownerless manor. If anyone knew who maintained its posh, lived-in aesthetic, no one came forward to share. A gravel driveway leads to the entrance of the large Gregorian home, looping right back to the suburban road. The building sits on top of a man-made hill, allowing it to look down at the other houses in Malifaux's neighborhood. Gravel crushes underfoot as you walk the manicured path to the front door, guided by illuminated orbs posted in the ground. You climb the steps to a landing decorated by four white columns. The doormen look through you before opening the double doors. You enter a grand foyer with marbled floors and a dark stairway. Only your speakers are allowed to ascend them, to speak of business with the Magister, Andrea Van Asch. A stern woman with the guild's best interest at heart. Perhaps with enough elbow rubbing, maybe one day you'll be invited up. For now, your place is in the parlor, crowded despite its size. How this many people kept the secret of the council can be chalked up to respect or fear. You recall being newly initiated and learning the structure. Each of the five offices held power only to wield it as the council dictates. Naturally, a gathering of merchants maintained the mercantile commission. They often dress in matching colors for a meeting, tonight's shade and emerald color, and discuss the economy with bankers, who begrudgingly operate with legitimized arcanists in the Soulstone Commission. These mages maintain a healthy distance from the others, not wishing to mingle with those stubbornly ignorant. Select nobles operate the office of Vicaroy, some taking it more serious than others. Considering the guild reports directly to the office of the Governor General, it would be common sense that a few would be represented within the council. They mingle with politicians and lawmakers over their cocktails, most preferring to stay tight-lipped. It isn't to say interacting with other offices is frowned upon, but it is important to remember. 
everyone here wishes the best for themselves first, Malifaux second. For now, everyone seems civil, chattering politely as one of the mages plays a classical piece on the grand piano. A fire crackles nearby, comforting despite the crowd. How do you wish to spend your time before the meeting begins? This is at uh, the meeting? Or is it prior? It's prior. It's the cocktail hour before the meeting begins. Probably find the buffet table. Perfect. Yes, there's most definitely one there. I'm going to say, though, it's not like a full-fledged. It's going to be more like snacks. And usually at this point is when I say cucumber sandwiches, because that's the only thing I can think of that's a posh snack. Maybe fondue. Aurora will head over there and just sort of almost in a wallflower-ish stance back up near the wall or curtain, just munching very quietly next to the table. Since you spoke up first, we will have prologues available on our RSS feed that kind of describe who everyone looks like, but this might be a new crowd and they don't know yet. So Miriam, go ahead, describe Aurora for us. All right, hopefully it matches what I recorded. It's been a while. (laughs) If not, it is now. Uh, So Aurora is a uh, human uh, of South Asian descent and is uh, wearing an outfit that's called a rarara, which is essentially a very long tunic and a very... um, flared skirt that's actually not a skirt it's just very very like flared pants that look like a skirt when you walk around and it's made out of simple cotton she is has her hair dyed in a braid I think so (laughs) Uh, it's like I said it's been a while Uh, and she is quite unassuming and eating some snacks and right now, I'm stuffing her face. Do you have a cocktail? Uh, yeah, probably. Just do, but it's more like I'm gulping it down for slaking thirst rather than actually kind of sipping it. Perhaps not the most cultured. So, Wheezy is going to find her buddies. In the council. She's going to find the the mean girls of the room, essentially. The cool kids' table. Oh, you mean the nobles? Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, hey, Wheezy, what do you look like? Um, Wheezy is a small one. She is very tiny, like four foot nine. Um, she's got great big blue anime eyes. Like the... She looks like a teeny tiny, very rich doll. <laughs> On a scale of, like, Disney princesses, like, one to ten. Ugh, twelve. Oh, okay, cool. Killer. <laughs> um, she is done up in everything that is the most recent. recent. Goodness gracious, I don't have anything to drink for tripping over my words. Um, <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in everything that is the most recent fashion. Everything is excellently sewn and it just is like the perfect little fashion doll you get to hang out with the nobles those are your peeps right mm-hmm. while you know people kind of come and go the people who are there tonight there are yeah four that are in attendance you recognize one of them if i remember correctly as anya as she's your mentor correct yes and she sits there and, and, and one of the nice like solo seats 
present in body, not necessarily in mind, as she sips a cocktail half-heartedly. It's more like she's holding it just to blend in. There is the Marquis Claude Philippe, who you saw this afternoon, and he kind of nervously adjusts his glasses and tries to continue conversation with Amira, who uh, you mostly know that she's an heiress, really kind of desperate to get her money. She is probably out of the group, the least friendly. It's Mm. not her fault. She's just drawn that way. And actually kind of lurking nearby Anya, you see Zahi, who is a scholar from Africa, although he's never specified. Okay. So I am going to sit next to Anya, and I think I'm going to try to... I'll I'll twiddle my fingers at, at Claude, and I'll just kind of sit down and kind of put my hand on Anya's hand. Hello, darling. How has your day been? Kind of chokes on her drink a little bit, clearly pulling her out of some thoughts. And hey, people who are listening for the first time, I don't do accents the first time around. But Anya has a very thick accent as she is a Romanoff. And she looks at you and kind of blinks a few times just to make sure that it is you again, not not recognizing you, just bent off in, in a cloud or two. So- sorry, what? How's your day, dear? Oh, my, my day. Yeah, uh, well, I woke up. I read a little, and really, I just, hmm, and kind of trails off again. She's a little space cadetty. Hmm, that's nice, dear. She gives your hand a squeeze, though, like recognizing that you're there. Mm. Okay, f- first off, let me describe Neil to you. Please do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Neil is neither tall nor short, sitting at an average height of 5'11", but he does have pretty broad shoulders, um, quite the wide stance, and he is dressed in a finely embroidered with silver and gold. It's a pale orange or maybe a dark yellow shirt um, with a very fashionable belt, and over it he has a very ornate looking red coat with the, not the collar, what is the thing at the end? The cuff? Cuff? cuff uh, upturned. I was like, I had to think about that. The arm collar. (laughs) (laughs) The arm (laughs) collar. You know. He has finely pressed green, dark green, trail green even, trousers with finely polished brown boots. And if you'd look him in the face, you'd see his very fine features, um, maybe Italian, maybe a little Spanish, um, nice dark brown hair a little longer than than most people wear it Um, and it's just swept back um, and he's very keen on just kind of running his hand through it every once in a while just to make sure people notice so what is fashionable neil doing well neil would of course have to grab a glass of wine from the nearest location there's like a nice little spot by the door Great. So he will just lift it up and go. After surveying the room, he's going to see if he sees any little clicks of uh, his favorite Lord friends and pop over to greet them. Yes, they are kind of keeping company within the same of this guild and they seem to need to mesh together every now and again. Makes sense that they would commune. At least makes more sense than them hanging out with those ding, ding arcanists. 
So you see, of course you see your mentor, Lord Temporal, Temporal Rupert William. And he is a portly man with a magnificent, oh, it's not mutton chops. It's the one like the mutton chops go up into the mustache, though. Uh, there's a name for it that I do not know off the top of my head. Like a circus? Like a circus or handlebar mustache? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's all one big piece, almost. So so the sidebars and the mustache all just kind of make this one circular line. And it really does no favors for his triple chin. But he seems to be confident in it, so who cares? He's wearing very fine clothes, although not as outlandish as Neil. He is chatting away with Sidney Taylor, who is a younger man, kind of an up-and-comer. He's a lawyer and very excited about that. Uh, lurking, sulking nearby is Azad, who is the assistant to Lucius, who's the secretary to the governor general. He is a very powerful man. Azad is not. And he hates his job and will frankly tell you how much he hates his job. The reason he doesn't quit, though, is because he's terrified of Lucius. Last but not least is also Theodore Taylor, or apologies, Theodore Turner, who is the speaker for your group. And I should have mentioned this earlier with the nobles as well. The speaker for you, if I have to remember correctly, is actually Marquis Claude Philip. But that was then, we're now. Your speaker is present. It just means that when it comes to meeting time, he is the one who's going to come share your ideas. He is the chief security of Soulstone Transport here in Malifaux. They all seem to be huddled as if they want to talk, but also don't want to talk. It is this kind of weird energy going on right now of like no one really knowing what to talk about. So I will approach fairly confidently and seeing as how no one is saying anything in, in this sort of standoffish thing, I will reach into my shirt pocket and pull out a pocket watch. Stare at it for a few seconds and then put it away. You blend in wonderfully. No one questions it whatsoever. Rupert gives you a, a, a nod and a little bit of a wink, but then goes back to sipping his scotch. Is there anything else we'd like to do as we wait? Or would you like me to carry on, my wayward son? I mean, if my mentor's there, I might say hello. And if I recall in our backstory, I think I hitched a ride with Neil. So as Neil grabs uh, a wine, which is probably close to the food table, I just very kind of sheepishly wave hello. Because it'd be awkward to ignore the person I just came to this event with. The level of awkward is what I'm here for. Time passes. It's not too much longer. It's a nice time just to connect with those around you, those who are willing to talk. Priscilla is there, by the way, Aurora. She kind of waves to you too, but also knows you're not much of a talker and therefore doesn't force it. If anything, she probably stands next to you pretty close. Not uh, pretty close, let me scratch that. She stands next to you a comfortable distance and smiles every now and again and kind of reaches out to say hello to other folks as they pass by. Yeah, and I sort of gravitate sort of closer with more food in my hands. Like, as as much as I can fit on a serving plate or napkin, there's like a pile of food that I'm just very... I'm just eating. Just I relate to this character so much. Did you use me <laughs> as a character study? Or like... <laughs> there's no pets around a pet, right? So, as, you know, it's not so much that it, the time of readiness is marked by... A chime of a clock. It's not really even an exact time. If you looked at your watch, it'd be an odd minute and an odd second. But you hear a distinct click. And nearby, a large bookshelf moves to the left. 
Much like the path outside, it is illuminated by these orbs, although instead of being posted in the ground, they're hanging from the ceiling. It's, it's not a brilliant glow, it's mood lighting, if you will. Stairs descend, not too deep or not too long. Fuck me. <laughs> I'm five. Um, you've reached the basement. There is one person there who's also a doorman, and he extends a hand. You all know the secret shake. It is combined. I can't shake my own hand. Wow. I tried for it, though. I sure did. You sure did. <laughs> I went for it. If you were shaking hands, it's a roll of the fingers and a quick squeeze. Is there anyone here who does not care to remember or, you know, maybe it slipped the brain? Or just maybe you don't care enough? I remember it, but I remember it after I descend the staircase with one hand holding three different wine stems filled with uh, liquid and the other one with a massive plate of food. And as I get to the door, I realize, oh, and I just pass it on to the doorman so I can shake it and then take it back as I descend. You all have been a part of the council for more than a hot minute. The doorman's not surprised. In fact, he extends a hand to hold the plate so that we can still hold on to your wine as you join hands. Oh, there's no wine in it. It's just water. There's oh, just three glasses water. of water and wine. Fair. I would like to don my specifically matched gloves before I shake. Are you a germaphobe? No, it's just cooler. You can go for the cool factor. Always go for the cool. I like it. <laughs> I think that Wheezy knows the handshake because her dad, who's a very rich man, you know, her dad invented toaster strudel, you know, that sort of thing. She goes down the stairs and I forgot to mention that everywhere she goes, Wheezy has a giant carpet bag and you see a tiny little Yorkie head poking out of it. Her dog's name is Faye. She goes everywhere with Wheezy. Is she yipping? Um, she's snuffling at this point, kind of a... <laughs> Um, and as she does the handshake, she expects the person that she's shaking with to take her hand. So she holds her hand out like this. Is it like the awful limp <laughs> fish? The worst. As you hang your hand out, all awful-like, he very gently takes it, pivots it, and waits for you to start it. She does. She does the thing. These doormen are fairly nonplussed. They are respectful in the sense that, again, this is supposed to be a secret shush-shush. No one's here, actually. Kind of meeting. So once the handshake is done, it's like looking straight ahead again, and you're able to enter into the meeting room. The meeting room is fairly large. It has stadium, stadium, stadium-style seating, where it's, you know, tall, the goes high, leveled out, and there are three distinct sections. Most commonly, the factions will sit within factions. Intermingling happens, but as I mentioned at the beginning of this, it's not common. Where would you all like to sit? I sit right next to my mentor. She's happy to have you. She actually digs into like a pouch at her waist, pulls out a small dandelion, and tucks it behind your ear. And I sort of give this appreciative coo of like, ooh, thank you, while stuffing my face. And I offer... Some of what's on my plate. She partakes. <laughs> Wheezy is as visible as possible. 
She is as visible as possible, and she is sitting next to the um, most popular of nobles. And she's kind of dragging Anya with her because, you know... A little, a little drifty. Probably the most quote-unquote popular is more quote-unquote loud. Amira is definitely the queen bee of the group. As you are following along behind her, she is chattering, gossiping away over the fact that one of the arcanists is actually not here. In fact, it's the speaker. Belle is not here and hasn't been seen in about a week, which is much to her delight. Amira does not get along with Belle and goes off on this tangent about how really she doesn't deserve to be in the, the be a speaker, that she got it because, you know, everyone else just wasn't quite smart enough. But really, in fact, she, maybe she should be the speaker for the nobles. Just spouting shit to start shit. Everyone knows someone like that. Wheezy is eating that shit up <laughs> with a spoon. And she's like feeding the fire. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's very off-putting. You would definitely be a better speaker than her. Amira appreciates it. Just kind of looks at you. I like you. Be sure to sit next to me tonight. Of course. I will walk into the room and survey it. Of course, looking for the more prestigious groups of people. Um, And I would like to settle in somewhere respectfully distant yet close at hand from my mentor. Fair. You don't want to seem too clingy, right? Exactly. Well, so I'm going to say there's kind of like this nice interjection point then, probably between the politicians, this guild, like this this faction that you you know more of, and the the merchants. There is the son of a really well-known textile merchant. His name's Drake Shadewell. And he's kind of a party kid, but people tend to respect him just because of his daddy's money. So there's an air of, like, if you stand close to him, it's like, oh, you might be his friend, but also you don't have to necessarily talk to him to be his friend. But also you're maybe, like, just two, three seats behind Rupert. It's a nice little joining of meshing where you're not directly in the middle of your clique, but also not infringing on another's. Exactly. The sweet spot. Good. Good sweet spot. Beautiful. In the center of the room is a respectable podium for every person to come up, speak their piece as you all go about business. Whatever it is made of is covered entirely by this thick red velvet. There is a mallet with a little knocker. I know there's a word for it. I can't think of it right now. Gavel. Gavels, the word. I actually have several of my own gavels. Don't tell the people who gave those to me. Uh, da, 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 da. The woman who approaches is Andrea. She is the magister of this whole secret organization. She clears her throat, kind of fixes her glasses a little bit, and pulls out a ledger. And she goes through to take roll call. As she goes through, the very first name I'm going to have her read is Aurora Aurora. The name is read out at the most inopportune moment. And you hear essentially a um, present. The glasses are fixed a little bit as a scolding look is tossed your way. But otherwise, she moves on. Cornelius Yolini. Pleasantly present. Does not seem to be uh, to care either way of how any kind of different response. It's just a nice little check in her book. 
Heloise White. Here, and then you hear a little meep. Accompanied by Faye, checks two boxes. <laughs> Faye is registered within the Minerva Council. Of course she is. <laughs> and as this roll call continues, again, there's, there's a good amount of people here. The door is, now we won't say slammed open, but certainly opened with force. As the missing speaker appears, Belle arrives and where Wheezy wears the most recent fashion, Belle definitely wears classic fashion. A nice waist, a little bustle going on. Her hair is done up, although for once a little disheveled. Her glasses are askew. They're these little half moon glasses as she adjusts. As she briskly walks, she keeps her head up high, but definitely rushes towards the podium. Andrea looks at her in surprise, but also makes a note in her book. And then you hear Belle say, I would like to speak. And Andrea looks around, and there's some rumbling, robble-making happening within the factions. But no dissent into not letting her speak first. Do any of you have complaints about this? I am just immediately in... What was the the noble I was talking to? What was her name? Amira. Sorry. Amira, I am immediately in Amira's ear. Oh my god, did you see that? Why does why is her hair all disheveled? She's never looked like this before. You would never be late. Hubbub, hubbub, hubbub. hubbub. Rubble. Noise, noise, noise. Ribble, rabble. I look at uh, uh, Priscilla and sort of like have this questioning like shrug of shoulders and kind of like my eyes pointed in one direct like towards uh, the latecomer and sort of like what gives to Priscilla like silently you actually just saw this woman not too long ago she was in your book club after all although yes yes she was (laughs) I totally remembered that (laughs) it would be confusing though because she doesn't look the same how doesn't she look the same? You all left about the same time. And if I remember correctly, we'll find out. She was wearing, I think, more of a crimson black coloring in her wardrobe. This one has more of a sepia tone. A more rust. Oh, costume, ch- costume change. Not literally, oh, this is a person. different no, person. No, 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 who- no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, for her, it might as well be a different person. But, you know, neither here nor there. Okay, so had time to change her clothes, essentially. Mm-hmm. Or at least it feels that way. Uh, and, and Neil, this is the woman who crashed your book club and was looking far different as far as emotionally stable goes. The woman who came to your book club was confident and a little catty. And this one seems a hair frantic. I will glance over to see what um, Rupert is doing or saying. And I just imagine that his chest is puffed up and he's just going... <laughs> In, in which case, I will definitely do the same. Is it the same tone? Oh, yes. Oh, good. Good. It's like, I like that just a few steps back, too. So no one can really tell that it's like you're looking at him and taking up on his behavior. Oh, no, this was definitely a Neil thing. The noise quiets as she approaches. I'm trying to think of how to describe her for people who are unaccustomed to her. Belle has a certain presence about her. Usually, when not in this state, we can just go and say as simply as, she's a nice queen. Pretty frozen, marble-esque, 
does not express or emote very often. Doesn't lift her voice above a chilling disdain, unless she absolutely has to. Fortunately, as she takes the stand, people are aware that, while well, frantic, that this is still a woman not to be trifled with. She waits until everyone takes, takes their seat, quiets down a little bit, because she won't be spoken over. I realize what I'm about to share is improbable, that you may argue impossible. Let me remind you where we are, how we arrived, what we're already capable of. I've been to the future. And at this point, the rumbling start up again. I guess that explains the costume change. A young woman appeared during a visit to the Emporium. There's further rumbling. The clothing Emporium is a thrift shop. Here is this marvelous woman. Why the heck was she there? That's where poor people go. That's where I shop regularly. Priscilla kind of pats your hand. As far as your mentor's concerned, Aurora... Intently listening, and almost a look of concern as people seem to be kind of picking on her. Neil, yours is definitely not appreciating this rant that's about to happen. Anya is actually paying attention at, at this point. The dreams have certainly passed by, and she is listening intently to Belle's words. Amira, however, don't care, doesn't want it. Arms crossed. I actually was probably even more examining her nails and right with you whispering back. Like, she's making such a scene. If she wanted attention so bad, she could have just done anything else. But why was she doing this? Caddy, caddy, caddy. This woman transported me to her time. 2019. At this point, the crowd erupts. What was polite to a little loud at this point is just shouting in disdain. Your girl is cracked, mages. We call for you to replace your speaker. Further such disgruntled sounds erupt. There's even some people who actually support. A letter speak! Blasphemy! This woman, who is unfazed by most things, waits in silence, staring straight ahead, making eye contact with nobody. Once the initial uproar has faded, it's definitely not gone, but back to more of a mere rumble. While I witnessed many marvels, I bring to you a threat. The harmless docile docents are far from the innocence they claim. They speak true of the tyrant's return. They speak true of a tyrant named the Mother. The woman has spent her lifetime to avoid her fate. This woman seeming to mean the woman who was transporting her. Esther, leader of the docents, will bring the Mother into existence, and with it, the revival of new tyrants. This is the point where you saw that franticness when she initially entered, but as she continues to speak, her hands grip onto the podium. Her fingers dig into that soft velvet fabric. Again, not daring to make eye contact, staring straight ahead, distance of a thousand yard stare. As she's moving, her hair, again, starting to fall out of place. Little tendrils framing sweaty forehead. She doesn't move them. At this point, whatever else she is speaking is completely overridden by the fact of people furious, unwilling to listen to the news she brings. You can see her expression melts from that stoicism to that of a child desperate for attention. Her attention breaks as looking vaguely over the crowd, looking for at least one person to listen. Finally, Andrea lifts a hand, and that is enough to bring the noise back down. Belle, if you are unable to find substantial proof of your claims, we will revisit this. Until then, we'll hear no more. Belle, flushed at this point, takes a deep breath and tries to collect herself. She pushes her glasses up her nose, sits up straight, adjusts her little jacket, 
and takes a seat as if this was any other normal business announcement. She ends up joining the mages, although even they look at her with suspicion, with concern. Very few of them seem to care. Priscilla gives a passing glance, but even in this uproar, there's that sense of self-preservation not to reach out to this woman who is clearly crazed. And I just sort of lean in and I whisper, is that even possible? For the first time, Priscilla speaks to you, has this Creole accent. Anything's possible. Andrea continues. Moving along, there are reports of a rat-related infestation in the sewers. We have a scene fade here. The rest of the meeting goes on as planned. You hear things, you hear news from Theodore of a suspected soulstone heist. Or moreover, that there's a at least an increase of soul stones being stolen. There's a lackadaisical concern for the rats. I mean, the rats, how bad could they get? The thing that people seem to linger on the most is a rumor of a serial killer in Malifaux. Doesn't leave a gruesome scene all the time. All the time. The last two, three deaths have seemed fairly mild. It's just that they're missing something in particular. A ring. A boot. A book. Your speakers go on. In a way that is trying to ignore the wild story that was heard before. Trying to get back to normality. And for the most part, they succeed. The meeting wraps up. Some people leave early. Some people don't. There are, there's more wine. There is some nightcaps available. The meeting goes on for probably about two, three hours in total. Belle lingers, although not eager to make eye contact with anybody. Her friend Drake stands nearby, whispering to her, as if trying to talk sense into her. She's hearing none of it, or at least she's not acting like she's hearing any of it. Amira, it's so handy that you've been making friends with her all evening, as you two have been gossiping. Mm. And she leaves arm in arm with you, at least into this back to this parlor area where your gathering had began. What if you offer to help, Wheezy? Humor me. I want to know her downfall. This is so clearly on the edge of. I don't know what sparked it. But I'm dying to know. And you have a certain je ne sais quoi, a certain way with people. Thank you. Ooh, you want me to you want me to get on the inside? You want me to be your inside voice? I mean if you don't mind. I know you're a busy woman and all. Well, I'd be happy to oblige. You know I like to be in the middle of things. And Neil, you're gonna hear a similar speech, although not for the sake of gossip. Rupert grabs your arm. A little closer to your hand than your elbow as he pulls you aside. I don't trust that woman. I don't know what she's experienced. I don't believe for an instant she went to the year 2019. There's no way possible, even with all the magic that we know of. We haven't yet to discuss time travel. I want to know what she's up to. I want to know who I need to start supporting when she does snap. Can you help me with this, Neil? Consider it done, my lord. He gives your little wrist a squeeze. Your little wrist. Suddenly he has dainty wrists. <laughs> That's a misplaced adjective. And I guess maybe I should backtrack. Her disinterest in Drake changes as she spots Aurora. I would take a wild guess that you maybe don't approach her directly. Maybe giving a wide berth. Uh, I I actually just go to refill my plate. <laughs> I mean, I had a full dinner, but still, it's very important. Got to put some biscuits away for home, right? 
Yeah. Um, I also have pockets and like little little sort of like baggies to take home. <laughs> um, but I actually was probably going to speak to Priscilla and sort of get a a a bead on what she's thinking. And if Belle is in my vicinity, sort of do that awkward there there sort of a conversation so let's start with you and priscilla i would say that you were able to feel bell's gaze in the back of your skull as you talk to priscilla you have her attention and perhaps that's why she's ignoring drake priscilla seems to join you in this after meeting snack although not gorging herself taking more like a little bit of here a little bit there but also doing the same as you as far as i'm gonna save this for later and just puts it in her pocket. I I ask um, Priscilla, so what do you think about all of that? Do you think it's possible time travel can happen? Do you think Belle actually came from the future? But she's back, so it's like back to the present? See what you did there. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Priscilla sort of nods her head, and uh, that, that movement is enough to realize that her scarf that's wrapped around her head maybe just wasn't tied quite as, as tight as she would have liked, and takes a moment to, to readjust. I think what is more possible is that she believes she saw the future. Although we weren't there. No, but I could have sworn we left at the same time from this book club that I attended that I was actually dragged to by Belle um, and I traveled with Mr. Yelini over there um, and sort of nod in the general direction uh, and we all left at the same time so she could have had enough time to change her outfit but, I mean, maybe that's why she's late. She missed the entire cocktail hour. All those corsets and those fashions do take a while. I don't have the patience for it myself. Neither do I. It sounds like you want to believe she time-traveled. I'd be curious. I mean, if it works, maybe people in the future have figured out how to time-travel. And if there's a link, then perhaps... Imagine where we could go. We could go into the past and see things as they were happening instead of speaking to them about it later. The way you phrase that certainly doesn't strike a chord with Priscilla. There's someone nearby, though, who kind of looks at you secondhand. Like, ah, I'm not going to touch that. Just going to leave it be. <laughs> Just going to let it sit there. Priscilla eats a little chunk of chunk of cheese because that's apparently all I can think of tonight's cheese and nods her head once I believe things that stay things that happen in the past should remain there if we were meant to see them we would have seen them but if you're so curious the source is has been staring at you for a while oh and I, I totally don't even do the trying to pretend that I'm not looking. I just turn and stare. 
<laughs> Mid-munch. <laughs> and you see a frustrated Drake who's trying to get into his friend, and you see this woman, Belle, who at this point through the course of the meeting has slowly kind of put back her appearance, although it's still not perfect. And just these cool green eyes lock onto yours. And I just wave awkwardly mid-chew. <laughs> Leaving Drake as he is mid sentence she approaches gliding more than walking and stops just short fairly robotically you're going to help me i am what no she reaches down and takes your hands which in the time that you've known Belle, this is probably the most human thing she's ever done and she lifts them up a little bit not quite bringing them to her chest or to your chest just lifting them as, as she's trying to hold food and all uh Jeez. It's getting squished between your palms. Oh no, I was offering, like, <laughs> it's like, cheese. I admire that you showed up for the book club. And not, I, <laughs> I honestly haven't been watching it besides this. I just thought that you would be easy to convince to come to this book club. But you've been helpful so far. I just, <sighs> I need more information. But when I do, I hope I can ask for your, she can't twist her face. Again, this is weird. Help? Can I, can I ask for your help? I nod, because somehow I have the inability to say no to her. She scares me. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm in awe, but also slightly terrified. It's just, you know, that sort of a relationship there. And I go, um, okay, but uh, I have many, many questions. Also, I think I think the cheese is now attached to my hand. She removes the hands and looks at her own palms and she's like, oh, I need to take care of this. More information. When I have more information, you'll have more information. This is gross. I have to go. And she, like, hand in the air. Just lick your fingers! Hand in the air, looking for a napkin, <laughs> looking for someone to help. Anything just to, to get rid of the icky. It's gross. <laughs> I just lick my hands. Which is the most normal thing to do in this case. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go right up to her as soon as I see that she's free. And Belle, darling! Oh, you, you, you were so flustered up there. I'm so so- What is on your hands? You see the hand lift to touch, like, to, like, it's gonna be like, like that fake friendly, oh, hi, squeeze your arm. Like, Hi, friend. And then you realize there's stuff on her hand, and she's like, mm, mm. and frowns. I am going to intercept. And she's like, you got me. And if a hand still just is held awkwardly in the air, it's not going to touch anything. Heloise, <sighs> can I help you? Are you here to mock me? I'm not in the mood. Of course not. I would never. Now, as women of science, I thought that I could... <sighs> extend any sort of help that you could need. I'm, I'm always here for a friend. And Faye slowly, like, noses her way out of the carpet bag to, like, sniff at cheese. What There's a temptation just to let the dog clean it, but then that's actually more gross. So, nope. Hank gets pulled away again. <laughs> I don't have the time to tell you how we are not both women of science. Because yours is not a science. I do not have the time. And she takes a minute to collect herself. <laughs> Are you genuine? Are you seriously off? Why do you want to help me? This is, this is new. This is different. 
uh, for, for the for the first thing, I'm gonna blink. <laughs> well, why would you think that I wouldn't want to help you? We don't like each other, dear. Right? I've read I've read that. Right? We don't. We're not friends. So at at that point, I'm just gonna be like, fine. No, I don't like you very much. But think of it as you're you're kind of pathetic right now, and I hate to see one of us look this way. For your own sake and your own decency, you could you could use my help. And she looks at her hand, and she looks down at herself, and she looks at you, and blinks a few times. I'll blink right back. <laughs> blink, 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 blink. I hate to say you're right, but I think you're right. And I hate that I'm in a position so low that I need your help. But no one seems to be listening to any sense lately. She tosses a glance over the rest of the room, who are spectacularly... We're all looking at her the second she looks behind her. Go back to their feet, their drinks, to anything but her. Oh, hello, ground. You are interesting. Help seems to be in short supply, so I should thank... Thank... We'll be in touch. You're welcome. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, cheese, hand, dog gross, hand gross. We just need to get this taken care of. And she, like, again, dances off or dances, glides off to hopefully find a goddamn napkin. Who took all the napkins? I will intercept her at this time. <laughs> oh, you. May I offer a handkerchief? As I extend one. Snaps it out of your hand and starts rubbing hers. Did you steal all the napkins? I stole nothing. That's believable. As her hand is clean, she hands the handkerchief back to you. It's just like a little tacky. It's kind of sticking in weird little glob. It looks around. Thank you for the assistance. Is there something you need? Your book club was quite interesting. Let me just say that real quick so I don't never have to say it ever again. If you have another, thank you. I'd like to be invited. Okay. Um. So you know ab- about that. The book club. Um. No. I. I was just gonna take it as an opening. You're losing me, Neil. You know, you made, you made a a big splash um, a little while ago, and I would really like to know more, because obviously, a lot of people don't pay much attention to outbursts such as these, but um, a few of us do. She looks around. I wouldn't say it was an outburst. I had very Mm. important information to share. Everyone was being so loud. I had to get loud. Mm, You should have seen your hair. (gasps) Too soon. Two people have insulted her appearance. I offer her another handkerchief. She leans in. Was I that bad? It was very noticeable. <gasps> that simply won't do. Ugh. However, I will say it's probably because you're normally quite well composed. You're walking a line, Neil. If you've insulted me, you flattered me. If you're going to flatter me, flatter me correctly. But ugh, at this point, she looks at the crowd and the help she has forced enlisted. And the, the wheezy who is... Are you looking a little smug at this point? Uh-huh. More like voluntold. Voluntold. <laughs> you're helping me and you're going to like it. And back at the crowd that seemed to look at her, but not look at her, in ways that were not as she has orchestrated. This is a woman who has spent years cultivating her reputation. 
fine. But if you ever speak to me like that ever again, lie better next time. When I have more information, I'll collect you and the others. As you wish. And she looks at the second handkerchief. What? What is this? I don't. I don't need this. And kind of throws it back at your chest and makes to leave. <laughs> Thoroughly embarrassed for the evening. The evening ends. There's a little bit of a rumbling as she leaves, but then the excitement passes. People go back to their usual gossip. They're a little bit more willing to talk now that the meeting's over. Now that the kind of the anxiety of what could possibly be presented at the meeting's gone. And this is when we have a time jump. It's been a month. A hot, muggy July. Very little worth noting happening this summer. That is until today. News travels fast. You are all aware that a serial killer has been found, although he has escaped. In a house that was set up for sale, an entire family has been murdered. But beyond that, there are other bodies there. It seems as if the serial killer that has been building all summer has gone on his barbaric rampage. There is one sole survivor. Her name is Rowan, and she runs a body house down in... Well, who cares? It's a body house. As the sole survivor, as the final girl, she is speaking gibberish. Unfortunately, in the events that occurred, she is now paralyzed. And she keeps speaking of the innocence of two men. Two men. Two men escaped. Perhaps the serial killer wasn't one man, but two. The bounty on Jared Kanan and Albert Long has increased. Although, for you three, none of you are bounty hunters, so what do you care? Beyond the fact that there's a serial killer on the loose and has escaped yet again. As the news trickles in throughout the day, you also each receive a letter. It's from Belle. It is marked wax, purple wax with a swan stamp, I guess. That's the word I'm looking for. It's a letter, simply put, in fine script. Meet me at the Rose. There's a time, it's early afternoon, Alex didn't decide, so we're going to say one in the afternoon. The Rose being the Rose Parlor, which is the nicer entertainment building bar of the neighborhood, or of Malifaux proper. She said that there will be a private room upstairs up a private room upstairs available for you. She finally has more information, and that's all she says. Who arrives on time and who arrives late? <laughs> I am exactly 15 minutes late. Exactly. Nice. I am five minutes early. <laughs> I was early, but I stopped to get a drink or two. So we shall start with Aurora. You know that there's two private rooms upstairs. It's early after. Yeah, it's early afternoon. That's what one o'clock is. Early afternoon. And Dennis, the bartender, sees you, nods at you, and then points up the stairs, clearly being made aware of your uh, the entrance. That you, he was aware that you'd be showing up. As you take to the stairs, unless you want to do anything else, there's one door open, one door closed. If you peer into the open room, no one's there. Therefore, closed door. So I just very gently almost you you know it hurts my fingers more than actually producing any sound sort of knock and wait the door opens almost immediately after you knock although Belle's sitting there no one else is in the room <laughs> magic 
And you can kind of see the, like, the aftermath of her wiggling her fingers to beckon the door open. Her glasses are still perched upon her nose, not often seen without them, as she is midway through a book. All right, come along, dear. I made sure there was food. And there's a small table set up with, you know. I go straight to the food table. And I start loading up my plate before I sit down. I'm just going to let you eat. I will wait for everyone else to show up. I do a very polite cookie monster. What does that sound like? Oh, it's 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 like chewing. You can hear the chewing, but it's not food going everywhere. Just not bothering to fix their face after any sort of like side of the face. But once the food's done, then wipe the mouth. But in the meanwhile, it's like carnage. I'm going to say, Neil, you were there drinking and Wheezy, you will see Neil and biting, 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 drinking and biting. Yes. <laughs> Okay, um, I'm going to walk up to the bar. Uh, Dennis, my usual. I will fully expect that he knows what that is. He does? Uh, what's your, tell your fate master. Uh, it's a champagne spritzer. Perfect, good, yes. Cracks open a brand new bottle of champagne, probably will get drink later. Makes you your, your, your spritzer and hands it off to you. Thank you, and she'll slide him a scrip. Takes it, puts it in the cash register. He's an up and up man. Neil and I know each other, right? Yeah, you know of each other. You guys have been in this council for a little while now. Uh, so I'll take a sip of my drink and just kind of as I'm as I'm drinking, I'm like my eyes are still on him. Is he watching? He's watching. Yes. Very daintily set my glass down. Mister Yelini, I presume. Yes. How are you this fine early afternoon? I'm doing well. Um, Heloise Amandine LeBlanche, if, if you, if you please. And she'll hold her hand up. I take her hand. It's the same <laughs> flippy floppy gross hand. I hate it. It's so good, but I hate it. And she's not going to like actually shake his hand. She, as soon as he grabs it, she's just going to, I'm just going to wiggle it a little bit. <laughs> After my weird handshake, uh, I'll ask, so what brings you here on, a, on this fine afternoon, Mr. Yelini? Hmm. Well, I do have a meeting with Belle regarding, well, something regarding that incident. Remember a month ago? Oh, yes. She was very unseemly at that meeting. It's so odd. I, too, am supposed to meet with Belle today. Hmm. Shall we have one more drink and then go up? Certainly. Hmm. By the time you join, I gonna say that i mean bell's certainly eaten aurora's certainly eaten and yeah like uh whenever they enter i wipe my hand on whatever napkins provided and i stand up there's extra napkins like way more than there should be for four people (laughs) (laughs) and i just stand up because i that's sort of the polite thing to do when a new person comes in the room and just say hello oh you all are at the minerva council and I went to the Minerva Council Council with you after your book club. Yes, how are you, Aurora? I'm good. Good. There's food. It's really good. And there's like a quarter of the food left. The same motion that she used to open the door, she kind of uses it to, to close the door, maybe in reverse this time, still has yet to look up from her book. 
But she waves you all forward. Come set your light. Uh, this is when the book drops and she eyeballs you. Uh, also, Wheezy, do you do the same handshake thing with me? Mm-hmm. I sure do. Okay, so when you do that, I look quizzically and then look at all of you and then sort of give the sort of, um, you know, kiss the ring sort of emotion where I kiss it and you realize there's I haven't wiped my mouth yet. I 100% snatch my hand back. Oh. <laughs> and then I will find one of the many napkins. I will take five of them and I will be scrubbing my hand. <clears throat> no, thank you. I've, I've I've already eaten. I don't need food. I'm I'm just not very hungry. I don't eat much, you know. She is a hundred percent like horked down pancakes, a la, um, a la Gone with the Wind, where she eats before she ties her corset up, and she sits down as far away from Aurora as possible while still being polite. So, Kitty Corner. Mm-hmm. Neil, do you have a grand entrance? Uh, no, I will just walk in and observe for a moment before quietly taking a seat. The book is closed. Not bookmarked, but just closed. And Belle removed her glasses. She is in much better condition than she was a month ago. Though in the same motion that she removes her glasses, cleaning them with the fabric of her dress, an illusion starts to fade. Not around her, but the room. And as you look around the neat and tidiness of this area, fades into what can only be described as a conspiratorial mess. There are pages on pages, there is yarn, there are pictures, there are stacks and stacks and stacks of books. But at least she made the effort to look presentable. I want to tell you a story. Will you humor me? I nod. I nod. I nod too. Once upon a time, there were four bumbling idiots in Malifaux. The hero is unable to hit the broad side of a barn, but his charm takes him far. The mentor died early, but took a second time for death to take. The universe is full, he's truly hiding from his past, although doesn't seem to mind the bruises that that leaves. And lastly, there's an Ortega, who has been snatched up by the Void himself. The story began with four, but ends with two. In between, these idiots have proven to try their best, even when the odds were set against them. They brought down a rat resurgence. They ended a soul stone heist that could have truly changed the economy. They brought low a murderer, plaguing Malifaux. They were touched by fate, but refused their roles. The mentor, rest his soul, conversed with a godslayer, none the wiser. He was blinded by the power and coveted it, even through his sacrifice to save the hero and the fool. The universe has decided that these men, and she definitely pauses here, looking thoroughly unimpressed with the way that fate has decided to do things, are the saviors. Our job is to make sure that they don't fucking die. I raise my hand. Yes, dear. So, pardon the interruption, didn't you say one of them did die? We have two left to save. Let's maybe... Technically two of them have died, we have two left. I just would rather, you know, not lose out completely. Okay, alright, I was just, uh... Keeping score. I know, math is hard. She clears her throat. A moment, a moment. Mm-hmm. So if, if these if these men are such such a burden and such idiots, why is it their job? Couldn't you pick someone else? If I could, I would. 
and she like kind of puts her hand on her book a little, little harder than a than like a pat. Just uh, very frustrated with the circumstances. As far as I've been told, my travels, we need Jared Kanan and Albert Long to save the day. Of course, for the masters of our own destiny. If they refuse to come along, perhaps they're already dead. Perhaps then we need to find new heroes. Although, and she looks at the three of you, I'm not colored and pressed at the moment. These men have found themselves not in the strands of fate. The tyrants have long been locked away, but the creator has escaped. I believe I mentioned this early, you know, a month ago in my outburst. And she takes a moment to make eye contact with Neil, clearly having not forgotten the comment. I reach for a handkerchief. (laughs) (laughs) Tries to shoo it away. Just like, no, don't. A woman by the name of the Oracle, she is leading the docile docents. She desires to see the mother freed. She seeks out a girl, Winifred Gibson, you may have heard that she's been missing for quite some time, who contains a neverborn being within her. Delilah Graveborn, that's her name, has been waiting impatiently to complete her destiny, despite the limitations to the Gibson body. Dr. Felix Hyde was her favorite, but insisted that Mr. Long and Mr. Kanan's assistant insisted on their assistance on the task. And she kind of takes a moment to look at the three of you. Are you keeping track? I have notebooks, and if you need to look, and she kind of waves to the wildness that is around you. Take a look if you need to. Just try to keep up. And she pauses just to see if there's any more questions. A loud crunch of carrot. (laughs) Delilah's entire purpose is to fight the mother and banish the tyrants once and for all. What is unknown to her is that Mr. Long and Mr. Kanan are required for her success. Again, as far as I've been told, by the year 2019. Unfortunately, they remain willfully ignorant. Before we help them, however, we have this mess of Delilah to deal with. And really, and she reaches over to grab a carrot stick herself. I need you for a few more things as well. I'm going to need you to locate, capture Delilah. I'm going to need you to bring her back to me. And then I'm going to need you to find Kanan and Long, convince them to help save the world. And then there's the matter of finding Jared Kanan's niece. Her name's Orphelin. She's supposed to save the world if we fail. So just in case, I'd like to have that in my back pocket as well. And I'm pretty sure that sums it up. So we're good? And she crunches a carrot. Oh, just, just that. Do you have anything better to do with your time? Well, I mean, someone has to take care of Bart and make sure the cat's fed. And I'm still renovating my house. I don't know who Bart is. I've never seen your cat and I don't care about your house. This means nothing to me. All you ask is everything, right, Belle? Nothing in half measures, dear. Fine. I did say I would help. In fact, that surprises her. Like, clearly at this point, she expected you of all people to ditch out. I suppose if you're going to say yes, these two truly don't have any excuse to say no. I dare you. Or watch the world fall to ruin. That's on your shoulders, not mine. I didn't say no. I just said, who's going to feed the cat and take care of Bert? I will scrunch my face in deep thought. No, actually, I'm quite intrigued. I'll help you. Well, that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. Let's go over the details then. And she pushes away and she goes to the wall. Let's start here. 
fingers. These aren't spirit fingers. These are spirit fingers. These are cold. These are these are cheese fingers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh goodness. 